last several weeks, we have been in a study entitled The Problem of God. And we've been saying this for several weeks, that we want to follow where the evidence goes, not where we hope the evidence is going. We've been looking uh, logically. We've been looking uh, at data. We've been looking at scripture. We've been looking at outside resources to try and gain some answers to some of life's kind of biggest questions to some of, uh, some of our biggest doubts as it relates to our faith. And uh, we've been following the evidence, and it's so important that we do that, that we let the evidence say what the evidence says rather than assuming that the evidence says something or hoping that the evidence says something. We want to follow where the evidence goes, not where we hope it goes. And today we're wrapping up the series, and we're going to answer the big question. If you ask me, this is one of the biggest questions that people, whether they have faith in God, whether they've never heard of God, uh, whether they once had God in their life but have kind of walked away from God, uh, every person that I talk with, so many of us at one point in time in our life, we ask this question, and the question is this. If God is all-powerful and he is good, why is there evil and suffering in our world. If God has all power, if he has all knowledge, if he's everywhere all the time, then, then why is there so many bad things? Why are there children starving in other countries? Why are there hurricanes that devastate entire populations? Why are tsunamis such a thing? Why did grandmother die of cancer? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there so much evil and suffering in our world. Now, there is no doubt at all, and it would be futile to argue anything contrary to the fact that there is indeed evil and there is indeed suffering that happens in our world. I am not one of those that believes that it doesn't exist. I don't believe we need to bury our head in the sand. I don't believe that we need to look uh, for uh, how do I want to say that? I don't believe that, that we need to ignore the realities that people walk through painful things in their life. Tragedy strikes. And it doesn't matter your economic system. It doesn't matter the year you were born. It doesn't matter the location where you live. The Bible even tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. It doesn't matter if you have really strong faith in Jesus, if you've lived a good life, Bad things are going to happen to you, around you, and in our lives. It's just a fact of our life. And so there is no denying that evil and suffering do indeed exist. I remember my earliest recollection and realization when I understood that suffering happens in our world. I remember it because it was my grandmother's birthday. She was a sweet Lebanese lady. We called her Daita. That's Lebanese for grandma. You didn't know you were going to get a Lebanese lesson when you came to church today. She's full-on Lebanese, and she's a sweet little lady. I loved her dearly. And, and I remember because it was April 19th, and that was her birthday. I believe it was a Wednesday. I was uh, around uh, 12 years old, and I remember watching on the TV news coverage saying that there was a bombing that took place in Oklahoma City. And I remember wrestling with this idea of, why was there a bomb at a federal building? Isn't that a safe place to be? And I remember wrestling with, isn't this a safe world that we live in? Like, 
Like how, that's so close, because at the time we were living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, so it was hitting right in our backyard, and it was my grandmother's birthday, and my birthday was coming up soon after, and, and I was like, what is happening? And I remember as a young adolescent trying to wrestle and grapple and reconcile this idea that those people didn't do anything to deserve that wrath. That this guy was a bad guy and, and, and he did a bad thing and why did it have to affect these people? And I remember having to wrestle with that. The reality is this, friends. No matter your belief system, whether you have a belief in God, in a deity, you have a belief in humanity, you have a belief in and of yourself, you have a belief in some other religion, every belief system must answer and provide a reason or an answer to how to deal with evil and suffering. Because our explanations won't make it go away, but we do need to provide help to those who are walking through it. How do we deal with those? How do we reconcile those? And every world religion has to provide an answer to evil and suffering. And Christianity offers, I believe, not only the best answer, the best remedy, the best way to move forward, the best reason and rationale behind it, but I also believe that it, it helps us to embrace it in a way that we've never seen it. And Jesus did it in a way and showed us the way to deal with suffering that is different in stark contrast to any other religion and belief system out there. Let's look at a couple of them. See, uh, let's look at one, Buddhism. For, for when it comes to evil and suffering, Buddhism says that uh, how you deal with evil and suffering is you have to transcend suffering through detachment. In other words, care less and it won't hurt as much. Right? Care less and it won't hurt as much. So just detach yourself. In fact, they take it a step further and say, if you can just kill every desire that you have and not long for anything at all, if you do that and you do it long enough, well enough, you'll eventually read a state called nirvana and you'll feel total bliss because you're not caring about anything. And so their answer to evil and suffering is to just not care, to detach yourself from it. Well, I... I guess when it comes to losing a dog, losing a car, losing a job, losing a house, that might not be a bad strategy. But when it comes to humanity, you go tell the grieving children that mom doesn't matter and they should just detach from feeling love for her. It kind of falls short in that area, doesn't it? Absolutely it does. And so I don't think that's, that's the best way to do that. Uh, Islam comes along and says, it, you can overcome suffering by submitting to God who caused it and by detaching yourself from it. Therefore, you won't suffer. Same kind of thing. Hey, listen, if you wouldn't care as much, it wouldn't be as bad. But ultimately, just remember, God is up there. You're way down here. He's but a deity. You're a little peon. You're a minion. He does what he wants when he wants, and you just got to suck it up and deal. And the sooner you get okay with that, the better off you'll be in life. So just, just deal with it and submit and get in line and, and chill with it. I don't, I don't know that that necessarily helps. In fact, there's a there's a real similar line of thinking in some Christian circles. It's called predestination. That God has predetermined, prearranged, and pre-qualified and decided that bad things are gonna happen and what's gonna happen, when it's gonna happen, how it's gonna happen, and you have no control because obviously God is sovereign. 
And he does what he wants when he wants. He's all powerful. He's sovereign. So just take comfort in the fact that he's in control and you're not. Just go along for the ride. And while I do believe that there are some things that God indeed has complete foreknowledge of, to take it to the step to say that God causes everything, I don't think you can do that or it bears it out in Scripture. I know my kids really, really well. We have three of them, my wife and I. I know them really well. Our youngest, her name is Annalise. She's very animated. She talks with her hands. I don't know where she gets it from, but she can't seem to talk without using her hands in every scenario. And they're not small gestures. They're like big life gestures. I, I think it's her mom's fault, but I could be wrong. And, and, and so I know her really, really well. And I know that when she takes a drink at the table and she sets it on the edge of the table, I'm sitting there, I know my daughter so well that that cup is gonna end up spilled at some point. How many parents can record? Yeah, amen, right? Sippy cups till they're 12. Anybody, anybody <laughs> with, with me on that? And I know that that cup is gonna spill. And I know that she's gonna do it and it's gonna be an accident and she's gonna go, oops, and wait for somebody else to clean it up. I know she's gonna do that. Doesn't mean I caused the thing to spill over, does it? I can have foreknowledge of something without having cause and enacting that thing to happen. Are we, are we tracking? And so I don't think that that's really the best answer to evil and suffering. Hinduism comes along and says, you know what? Suffering, it's, it's just karma. Kind of reap what you sow. You're getting what you deserve. And karma comes along and says, uh, not only are you getting what you deserve, you can't do anything to stop it. And don't you dare try and interrupt and help somebody else out because they're getting what they deserve from a previous life. And so they're, if, they're, uh, if they're crippled, that's because they sinned in a former life and they're getting what they deserve. Karma comes around and it bites you in the behind. So sorry, I can't help you. I can't reach out to you. I can't offer assistance. Leave people right where they're at. Let them stay in their own state. And hopefully you're lucky enough to be living a good life because that just means you did better in the previous life and you've done better things all along the way. And so it's just karma. You're gonna get what you sow. And if not, you just gotta deal with it. And so if you're dealing with something bad in your life, it's probably your fault. So look yourself in the mirror and deal with it. I don't, I don't know that that's really the right answer because where's grace? Where's redemption? Where's forgiveness? Come on, where, where are those things? See, we just sang a song and took communion saying that God took our place. He took the punishment that we deserve. So we don't believe that that's how it is. Do we believe in sowing and reaping? Yeah, the Bible talks about sowing and reaping, that you do reap some of the things that you sow, but it doesn't mean that it's final. It doesn't mean that you can't do anything to change that. It doesn't mean that you can't repent and move forward and experience a new level of blessing in your life. Come on, that's why we believe in forgiveness. That's why we believe in redemption. That's it's why we celebrate and why we sing. And so it's not just a matter of karma. It's not just a matter of karma. So I don't feel like that's really the best solution either. And then our naturalist friends come along. Our evolutionary theories, they come along. And, and their answer to it is this. There's no meaning in life and no purpose in your suffering. There's no purpose in it. There's no meaning in it. It's absolutely 
pointless. So, because it's a dog-eat-dog world and the survival of the fittest, if you see somebody is suffering, go ahead and kick them while they're down. Take it, play it to your advantage because it's the strong they're going to survive. So you take advantage of people. You capitalize on their ill will and their ignorance, and you just kick them while they're down and don't care about them. Don't, just, you survive. You've got to survive. It's a dog-eat-dog world, so doggone it, you better eat. But if we're just biological beings and we have no meaning and no purpose, then suffering really is almost like a pointless figment of our imagination. You just need to get stronger. You better work harder, work smarter, effort a little bit harder, because if you want to change your narrative, only you can control that. Find a way to evolve into something, into something different. And I don't know that that's really the best approach, because everything inside of us as humans, cries out and says, it's not right. You don't want to kick a person while they're down. I mean, I might not want to help them and give them everything, but I can help them a little bit. I don't think that it rationally really proves out and is worth submitting our life to this idea and to this process. And then, then there's one last one I want to look at, and this is the new age. This has kind of been popular even most recently. And so uh, new age says that if you just have positive thinking you can defeat a negative reality. So send positive vibes, good energy, uh, make sure everything is so feng shui and situated just so. And if you will just be positive, don't let negative Nelly come to your party. No, 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 no. You need positive Paul to show up instead and just think better thoughts and don't think negative things. Think good things and good vibes and happy thoughts and everybody get into the emotion of it all and it'll all be all right. But ignoring reality doesn't make reality better. It just makes you more victim. Now, we have to be careful because uh, lest we not be willing to admit it enough that there are certain parts of Christendom, there are certain parts of Pentecostalism that would kind of come to this defense and say, if you find a verse and you confess it enough, you can change any reality. In other words, if you have enough faith, anything can happen. But if you take it one more step further, there are group, you'd have to, they press it out a little bit further. I know some well-intended people and, and some, it's, it's a small group of people, they would take it so far as to say that means that if you're suffering, it's because you don't have enough faith yet. If you had just a little more faith, it would be a little bit different. No. Do I believe that speaking God's word does have power to it? Absolutely, 100%. Can't get away from it. I believe that we have that. I believe the Bible teaches that we can have the things that we declare and we say. But it's not like I can say it and it just manufactures out of thin air. When the Bible talks about biblical confession, what it's really talking about is this idea and this element of when we speak and we add belief behind what we say that it begins to, to strengthen a belief system that we have. And if we have enough belief in our heart and we don't doubt in our heart that when we pray and we bring it to the Lord, we know he's gonna answer us when, when we pray. But it doesn't mean that he creates an alternate reality and it gets us out of. I believe with all of my heart that there's power in your words. 
But just because there's power in your words and just because you can renew your mind and strengthen your beliefs and do those things doesn't mean that negative things aren't going to happen to you. And it doesn't mean that we aren't going to walk through suffering. It doesn't mean that evil isn't going to come and be, have an effect in our lives. It doesn't mean that. It, just mean, it means it is. It just means that we have a stronger hope in the midst of the storm. It just means that we have a faith that says, no, whether I see it or I don't see it, my eyes are still on Jesus, not the thing. See, having faith and having confession and believing in your heart and, and speaking God's word, those things help us keep the main thing the main thing and not get sidetracked by the peripheral. And in the process, seeing God do more and more and more. Do I believe in the power of your words? 100% I do. But would I ever tell somebody, and at the same time, I've got to say, I don't believe that if people are sick, it's because they don't have enough faith. At the same time, I'm not going to tell people who are struggling to not go see a doctor because the minute they get a prescription and the minute they go see a doctor, they've now given authority to the sickness. No, sickness and disease doesn't have authority anyways. Either Jesus took care of it at the cross or he didn't. Because it's not the cross plus your confession that makes it powerful. It's the cross that brings the power. It's in the blood. It's in the body. It's in the sacrifice. It's what Jesus did that purchased my healing. It's what Jesus did that purchased my hope. It's what Jesus did that purchased my freedom. Pastor, I'm really confused. I thought this was a Pentecostal place. I thought we believed with our words and we say and we do, we do, we do, we do, we do. But let's not take it to some extreme that says the minute somebody takes a pill, they don't have enough faith to be healed. You can't show me enough scripture to make me believe that. Why? Because I believe fully that God is the healer. I believe that he heals naturally. You see it in scripture. I believe that he heals miraculously. I also believe that he heals medically. And one day he's going to heal us eternally. And so the question is, what do we do with the evil? What do we do with the suffering? What do we do with the bad things that are happening all, all around us? What do we do with those things? Here's the deal. Real, real honest. If you are looking for a belief system, if you are looking for a religion, if you are looking for anything to remove all doubt, all evil, all questions, and eliminate all mystery in this world, you're not gonna find one. Because there are some things on this side of heaven we won't understand. Why? Because your ways aren't God's ways. His thoughts aren't like your thoughts. Your human brain cannot fully comprehend all that God has in store and all that God does, and all of who he is. We just can't get it. We can't understand it. And, 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 and the reason is, is because as, as believers, as Christians, here's really where I think it comes down to. Here's the answer that I believe that, that Christianity offers us as it relates to evil and suffering. Evil and suffering exist as a result of the paradox of freedom. It exists as a result of the paradox of freedom. What, freedom, what do I mean? Free will. Free will. See, the, the beautiful thing about free will is that because we have free will, we actually can have love. Right? Because without free will, 
you can experience love, love that so many of us love, love something that all of us need, something that, that touches the deepest part of our humanity. We won't have that without free will. Have you ever tried to make your kids apologize to each other? I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're stupid. Well, no, that's not what I said. I'm sorry you're a sissy. No, that's not what I said. I said just tell them you love them. I love you. Like it's, it's like you just made them like do something like drink tar or something. And they're like, oh, I hate it. And their face curls up and they like can't look in a loving way at their sibling. Why? Because love can't be forced and still be genuine. And because we have free will allows us to love and experience love and choose love towards God, free will exists. But there, the paradox comes into play that there is a, a dark side to this free will. There's a shadow side to our free will. And with that same free will that we have to love, we also have that same free will to hate. We have that same free will to do harm to somebody else. We still have that, that freedom to annihilate another human race. We have that ability to disregard other life as valuable. We have, we have the option for our bigotry and our uh, dominance and our hatred and our revenge and our spite and our unforgiveness. We have all that freedom too. And as a result, those things reverberate through all of history. And we live in this paradox of freedom. And, and we could argue from an academic standpoint that you wouldn't really be able to experience ultimate good if you didn't have ultimate bad. If you didn't know what bad was, you wouldn't know how to recognize good. And I understand the thinking, but go all the way back to the very beginning of all of creation. And God said he created the entire world and there was no sin, there was no shame. Everything was wonderful and perfect. He called it paradise. And he said it was good. And he created humanity, and then he said it was very good. I don't believe we were ever meant to live governed by the understanding of good and evil. Why? Because they lived in a paradise of ultimate good, yet they had never taken from the tree that was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it wasn't until they ate of that fruit that their eyes were opened and they understood and saw that evil and good are different. I believe with all of my heart, we were meant to be living and governed by a trust in the voice of God that when he says, hey, this is good, we were designed in a way to hear our father's voice and say, you're right, it's good. I don't need to look anywhere else. I choose to trust that word. And when the Lord makes everything right and the world changes and he comes back again and suffering and evil and all those things are done away with and he wipes every tear from our eyes and there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more sickness, once again we will be governed by a central trust that says I trust what God says and we will be governed by his voice yet again. I believe with all of my heart that we were meant to have a fundamental trust and we choose to follow God rather than our knowledge of what we think is God or not. I see the smoke. Some of your minds have just been blown. I believe that with all of my heart. See, 
The reason that even those things, even that explanation that I gave doesn't seem to satisfy you is because the real question isn't why does evil and suffering exist? That's not really the question we want answered. You know what the question we want? Why did it happen to me? That's what we want to know. Why did I have to lose my child before I ever got to name him or her? Why, why did I have to have a wife that got diagnosed with cancer and died in her 30s? Why did, why did I have to see my parents grow old with Alzheimer's and deal with that horrific disease? Why did I, why did I have to live in a place that got destroyed by a tsunami? Why Oh, why, oh, why? See, because it's your relationship that was broken that cut you deep. And when you get underneath the philosophical answers and we, we get underneath the question of, of evil and suffering, it's really not so much a philosophy of why as much as it is a question of why our personal pain. See, under the surface of your perspective as it relates to evil and suffering exists a real personal pain. Something happened that brought you pain and it's rocked your world and you've been trying to grasp it and hold on to it and make sense of it and it cuts you deep. Why? Because suffering brings pain and it's personal. I remember in 2003, my wife and I had just gotten married and we moved to North Carolina and we were really excited. We were starting out in ministry. It was a new life together. It was gonna be fun of it, full of adventure and we were heading out there, and I was really excited because my dad's side of the family lived in kind of the greater Charlotte, North Carolina area. And for the first time in my rememberable life, I was going to have an opportunity to build a relationship with my grandparents. I mean, I knew them. I loved them. We always got to see them at least once a year, most years. And, uh, but I was really looking forward to the potential relationship I, I would get to have with my grandfather to go learn how to fish and to learn how to golf, things that he loved to do. And, and we moved at the end of 2003. It was November 1st, 2003, that we moved into our apartment. And you fast forward a couple months. Um, and during those couple months, every Monday, we went to their house in Charlotte. We drove 40 minutes to their house. My grandfather would grill uh, pork steaks and barbecue chicken. And it was amazing. And we would have lunch and do our laundry there because we were too poor to pay for our own laundry. And so we would rather drive 30 minutes, get a free meal that was actually good and home cooked and not microwave and get our laundry done. And we got to spend time with my grandparents and it was wonderful. And we got to do that November, December, and then January came. An ice storm hit. And the Carolina Panthers were heading to the Super Bowl. And my grandfather was a huge Carolina Panther fan. And Jake DeLone was going to take us to the promised land and beat Tom Brady in the horrible Patriots. And we were excited about this Super Bowl. And my grandfather and grandmother postponed a trip to Illinois to see some family to stick around to enjoy the Super Bowl and all of the festivities that would come by living in a town where your team was going to the Super Bowl. And this ice storm came. And my grandfather was out in the yard during the week and uh, slipped and he fell and he hit his head. And he kind of had a headache for like several days. And he decided to go to my uncle's chiropractic office and get an adjustment. So he went, got an adjustment. Uh, I think this was on, on a Wednesday morning. Uh, gave my uh, uncle a hug, said, I love you. I'll see you later. Walks out the door. 
And about 10, 15 minutes later, the office gets a phone call. Somebody across the street had seen somebody fall. And they weren't sure, so they called and said, hey, I think somebody fell and hit, hit the ice outside your office. They're still laying there. So they go out and find my grandfather. He slipped and he fell and he hit his head on the ice. And he never gained consciousness again. Died of a brain aneurysm. All of, all of my hope as a young pastor, as a youth pastor, to get to spend time with my grandfather and start a new life, all of a sudden, two months into a marriage is now rocked. And the pain was real. And the pain was personal. What do you do with that? What do you do when pain hits you in a personal way? Where do we go? What do we say? What do we do? I think Jesus gives us some answers. One of the things that I think we need to remember is that suffering is painful, but it doesn't have to be permanent. The pain, it's real, but it doesn't have to be permanent. And Jesus comes onto the scene and he shows us what we are supposed to do when suffering comes, when pain comes, when devastation strikes. What do we do? Well, if you follow Jesus and you know what he did, it's really simple. When it comes to suffering, Jesus embraced it. He didn't deny it. He didn't deflect it. He didn't run from it. Jesus embraced suffering. Check out these words in John 16, in verse 32, it says this. Jesus is talking with his disciples. Uh, they're, they're likely having finished the Last Supper, and they're likely on their way to the Mount of Olives to pray. And Jesus is walking with his disciples, and, and you would know that uh, when he goes to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is right on the Mount of Olives, that's going to be where he gets betrayed, and then gets put on trial, and beaten, and dies. And so these are his last moments with his guys. And they're walking, and he says this to them. He says, hey, fellows, uh, a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. I think some of our greatest pain in the, moats, in the midst of suffering is the fact that we feel alone. Nobody understands. People say nice things. And they probably mean them, but they don't help. And we feel alone in our pain. And Jesus was saying, listen, you're going to leave me and I will be alone. Yet, he says, I'm not really alone. For my Father is with me. Jesus could embrace suffering because he knew he wasn't alone. You can embrace suffering because you know you're not really alone. And Jesus goes on. He tells them this. Now listen, guys. I've told you these things. I've, I've told you that you're going to leave me alone. I told you bad things are coming. I told you I'm going to be crucified. And three days later, I'll, be, I'll rise from the end. I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. See, Jesus comes and he says, if you will embrace suffering, I'll give you peace in the midst of your pain. See, amidst the pain that you experience in this world, Jesus offers you peace. 
He doesn't say it's all going to go away. He doesn't say you're going to get a way out. He doesn't say that it's all going to change. But he does say, I will give you peace in the midst of your pain. I'm telling you all of this so that you have peace. He goes on to say, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, in this fallen, sinful, full of evil world, you're going to have trouble. In this world that's full of sin, full of people who hate you and don't like you and don't like the message of the cross and don't like what you stand for and don't like who you are and don't like something about you. In this world, this world that you live in, this present world, the everyday eating, sleeping, this world, the world full of hate, the world full of bitterness, the world full of brokenness, this world, you will have trouble. Not you might, not if you pray enough, you won't. Not if you give enough money to the church, you won't experience it. Not if you live enough sinful life, will the devil leave you alone enough that you don't experience it. Doesn't matter where you're at in this world, you're gonna have trouble. You can build a wall around it, you're still gonna have trouble. You can public school, uh, public educate your kids, private educate your kids, home educate your kids. They're gonna find trouble too. Why? Because in this world that is broken and fallen, you're gonna run into trouble. You're gonna run into things that you're not sure about. You're gonna run into things that you have to deal with the hard facts that life ends sometimes. Sometimes it ends earlier than what we want it to. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes it happens, but don't worry. I'm going to give you peace. Don't forget you live in this world, but this isn't your permanent home. One day, I'm going to bring you to a new home. Come on, somebody. It's about to get good. He says, doesn't matter. In this world, you will have trouble. It's going to come. You can create policy. You can make sure the Ten Commandments are in every school. It doesn't matter. Trouble's still coming. Why? Because you're in this world. You're in this world. You will have trouble. Not like you woke up and you had a bad hair day, trouble. Not like you wake up Tuesday to go study in your office and you spill coffee all over your computer and all of your Bible and everything kind of trouble. That's trouble, but that's not all the trouble that he's talking about. Hard, excruciating, agonizing, fearful, frightful, soul-crushing trouble, it's gonna come. The divorce that you didn't see coming, the sickness that you got news of, the child who refuses to go your way and walks in their own way, the trouble might come, it's coming. Suffering will come. Jesus told his disciples, listen, if you follow me, they're gonna persecute you just like they persecute me because they hate me and they hate my message. Friends, we don't get to ignore this. Trouble does come, but it doesn't have to be permanent. I love what he says next. But take heart. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. Why? I have overcome. That's the good news. Trouble's coming, but you've got the peacemaker with you. Trouble's coming, but he's got help along the way. Trouble's coming, but you're not gonna be alone. You're not forgotten. You're not on your own. He says, I have overcome this world. I've overcome it. I've overcome it. You don't need to run or feel like you need to be rescued. Just know I've overcome it. I've redeemed the suffering. If you draw near to me, 
He says, I'll draw near to you. Isaiah 53 says that all of our suffering was laid on him. Isaiah 53. Why? Jesus embraced suffering. Why did Jesus embrace the suffering? So he could redeem it. Jesus not only embraced suffering, Jesus redeems our suffering. And in that place, instead of the pain, instead of the frustration, instead of the heartache, instead of the doubts and the wonderings and the worries and the what ifs and how come, he says, I will give you peace. How how do we get this peace? How do we get this peace? We find it in the very next thing that Jesus does. Remember when the Bible was written, they didn't actually have section breaks and chapter breaks? Check out what happens next. Verse 33 of chapter 16 says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Trouble's coming. Let's pray. You don't know what to do. Let's pray. The pain is too great. You can't see straight. You're not sure. Your faith is shaking. Let's pray. You need peace. You need understanding. You need comfort. Let's pray. Jesus began to pray. I've got good news, friends. Jesus isn't done praying. The Bible says in Romans uh, that he's sitting at the right hand of God praying for you and me. He's praying for the pain that you're feeling. He's praying for the frustration that you're going through. He's praying for you because he knows you're going to have trouble, but he wants you to take heart. He wants you to hold on. He wants you to know that it's not the end. Jesus has empathy and an embrace waiting for you in your suffering. How do we access it? We pray. We go to the Lord and we we pray. We unload our burdens in prayer. We talk to God in prayer. We pray. He's still praying for you. I want to read Romans 8 as we begin to close. Jesus is still praying for you. Romans 8, verse 31. Listen listen to this. No, no, Romans 8, 31, we're getting to a section where we love to shout and scream, and it preaches really well, but you have to understand that, that he's talking about something specific. Verse 31, he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? What things is he talking about? Well, if you read earlier on, he's talking about present suffering. Earlier in Romans 8, he's talking about suffering. Your suffering, my suffering, the suffering that we would walk through. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things, suffering things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Come on, this is good news. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's you and that's me. The suffering that Jesus went through, it wasn't futile. It had a point. Its point was to bring you peace and to bring you hope. Has he not along with him graciously given us all things? What things? The things that you need when you're in the most pain. The things that you need when you have the biggest doubts. The things that you need when what you didn't see coming came. The things that you need when the pain is the greatest. He's going to give us those things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that. Who raised to life is at the right hand of God. God, who raised Jesus, 
Jesus is now at the right hand of God and is also interceding for you and for me, for us. I love verse 35. Who shall separate us from that love then? I mean, if Jesus' prayers don't go answered, whose prayers do go answered? No, nothing's gonna separate you. What is Jesus praying for? That this trouble in this world wouldn't cause you to lose heart. He's praying that you would stay close, stay connected, stay in. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or divorce or hard-headed kids or ugly bosses and mean spouses and neighbors who are spiteful or nakedness or danger or sword? Added my own little paraphrase in there to make it a little more contextual. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says, none of those things are gonna separate you from God. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. So take heart through him who loved us. For I am convinced, he says, that neither height nor death, nor angels, nor demons, no trouble, no persecution, no bad law, no weird president, no foreign entity, no thing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no suffering or pain or personal doubt that you will walk through that will cause God to throw his hands up and says, eh, you're on your own. No, he says, in that, I'm praying for you to take heart so that you can have peace in the midst of your pain. That you can have peace in the midst of your pain. Listen, friends, you can trust God with your suffering. You can trust God with your suffering. Here, why can you trust God with your suffering? I mean, come on, he's God, he's all powerful. He could stop anything, do anything, whatever. What does he know? Oh, you, you, didn't, you didn't realize that, that he's dealt with rejection too. You didn't realize that God, oh, he lost his son to death for unjust reasons, too. You didn't realize that people speak bad about him, too. That people misunderstand his attempt at benevolence, that the people miss that, too. Oh, no. We can fully empathize. God can fully relate to the pain that you're walking through. Why? Because he's walked through it too. Jesus embraced suffering. How do we deal with the pain that we have in our lives? We don't medicate it away. We don't ignore it. We don't try and cope with it. No, all of those things, those aren't gonna help you with your pain. You can't blame somebody else. That's not going to help you. Can't get bitter about it. That's not going to help you. No. You know what you need to do? You need to embrace it and turn it into a prayer. Turn it into a prayer. That's what Jesus did. He embraced the suffering to come. You're all going to walk away from me. I'm going to be alone. Let's pray. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus did. See, you can't stay neutral in suffering. Here's what I know about you. The pain that you went through caused you to move somewhere. 
you either moved away from God, who is your help, or you moved closer to God, who brought you help. In our pain, we can't stay neutral. We move one way or another. We walk towards God or we walk away from God. My question to you is this. Where did you walk when you went through your pain? Did you walk towards God, but still somewhere inside of you, you kind of blamed God? My encouragement to you is stop blaming and trying to explain and start praying. Start praying. Start taking it to the Lord in prayer. See, when you embrace suffering like Jesus, you can turn your pain into prayers, and those prayers is what brings you peace. And when you pray, you begin to draw closer to the Lord and say, you might ache and you might hurt and you bring it to the Lord and you might have doubts, you might have uncertainty. You don't know where where it's coming from next, but you give it to him. You draw closer to him. You bring it to him in prayer. And the more he gives, the more prayer you give it, the more time you just keep giving it to God. You keep giving, sometimes every moment of every day, you've gotta just give it to the Lord. Why? Because the pain is real. It's personal, it's in your face, but you've gotta give it to the Lord. When you take it to the Lord, Lord, in prayer, he gives you peace. No, 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 you don't understand. He gives you peace with a capital P. Gives you peace with a capital P. Also known as the Prince of Peace. Oh no, it's not just some weird emotion. No, no. Jesus draws near to you in your pain. And he makes it personal too. He makes it personal for him too. And he says, not to worry, I'll be with you. Oh, I know they're gonna throw you into the fiery furnace, but I'll get in the fire with you. And there weren't three boys that were in the fire. There were four. And one of them looked like the son of God, but they couldn't make it out. And they ended up surviving the pain that was meant for them because there was a person who showed up in the midst of the pain. Jesus wants to show up as peace in your pain, if you will let him. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for you today. I believe that there are many in this room, you would close your eyes just inwardly for a minute. There are many of you in this room, you're still dealing with some pain and it's quite personal. And today, you want to give that over to the Lord and invite his peace in. He wants to heal your broken heart today. If that's you, if you're walking through something, you've recently walked through something, or there's been a pain from your past and it hasn't left, and today you want the Prince of Peace to walk into your situation, would you just put your hand up in the air so we can pray with you? No shame, just a hand up in the air so we can pray for you. Thank you. Keep them up, keep them up, because that's your your heavenly antenna, if you will, to receive from the Lord today. Father, I pray right now for every hand that's extended. I pray, Jesus, that you would show up in the boat of their life right now. The storm might be raging, Jesus, but you're getting in it with them. There might be doubts that surround so many things, but Jesus, get in it with them. I pray peace 
into their life right now. I pray healing of the scars and the pain in their life, their doubts, their worries, their questions. God, surround them, eradicate them, and let them know that you're there with them, that you love them, that you're for them, that nothing separates them from your love. No pain, no doubt, no doubt, no divorce, no hurt, no trouble. Nothing is separating them from your love, God. You are there with them today in this moment, and I just pray healing and peace that passes all understanding would guard their heart and minds through Christ Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.